Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And this week we are doing something unique, I think. One of the pieces of feedback we've had from folks is that they would love at least some sort of engagement in more of our Franklin Covey education content. And so, as I mentioned on a previous contest or uh, podcast that we have decided to try to dedicate one episode a month to uh, an internal consultant or coach of ours and to talk deeply about a particular content. And so this is our first episode and I chose this person because she one, she's just an amazing woman. She's an amazing leader. She has a breadth of background and also one of her favorite um, trainings focuses for us is the Ford roles of great leaders and she is someone or the four central roles of leadership she is someone that embodies that work and so our guest is betsy weirda who's been a long-term educator she served many years in ex- as an exceptional student education teacher and all the way up to a principal and a district leader she's been a coach or a consultant with us for over 10 years and she's certified you know i think in all of our content from leader and me to seven habits the seven habits for families the speed of trust executive coaching her favorite the four disciplines of execution and the four essential roles of leadership uh, we dive into what those four roles are we dive into some very practical advice of what you can do now with the content as you're listening and start implementing right away but uh, the thing that you'll see quickly is Betsy is so sincere, so real, and so passionate about this content and what it can do for people. And so I hope you enjoy it. Betsy is someone that is in demand from California, as I referenced. I mean, she's been in California recently, Hawaii, New York. She spends most of her time working with our team in Florida, and we're very fortunate to have her there, but she's in high demand everywhere. And so it was awesome that we got a chance to have an hour of her time and just to let her share her heart and her experience. And so this podcast is focused mostly on our content, the four essential roles of leadership. And uh, you'll see why we love Betsy and why we're very fortunate to have her. So as always, if you're a subscriber, thank you for subscribing. If you aren't, please hit the subscribe. We uh, appreciate all support we can get. And most importantly, as you're listening to Betsy's wisdom, if there's any particular part of this episode that you think would resonate with a friend or colleague of yours, please send this along and share them with them because that's our heart and our goal here. So um, again, thank you all for the feedback who have given this to us because I think I'm really excited. Uh, I, I not think I know I'm really excited about uh, this once a month opportunity to take a deep dive into some of this rich content that we're very fortunate to be around. So with that, I will get out of the way and let you enjoy this conversation with Betsy. I'm so excited to have you here. As we've talked about before, you're going, you know, you serve our Florida schools really well, but you're flying coast to coast, helping districts and schools all across the country right now. So the fact that you made time for us is a huge honor. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you, Justin. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah. So, uh, you know, our first question, who are you and what do you love about what you do? Okay. Well, I am Betsy Weirda. I'm a coach, a consultant, and an executive coach with Franklin Covey. This is my 10th year, Dustin, Mm. and I am just loving it. Um, Your question about what do I love? I love everything about my job. I think if I had to boil it down, I would say the thing that brings me the most joy is that I get to bring hope to our schools. Things are really tough out there, Dustin, for our educators, for our kiddos, and I'm able to go in and bring hope. It's pretty powerful. We've been honored to have you as part of our organization for about 10 years now. Uh, And I know that you've done a lot of great work, but 
you're pretty distinguished in your leadership before you got here. And so I know you've had a pretty awesome career as an educational leader. And so I'm curious, before we dive into your work and the four such roles of leadership, what 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 has been your experience in the education world before this? Uh, Dustin, I've had such a great career. This is my 37th year in education. I started <laughs> I <know. laughs> I started out as a fourth and fifth grade teacher in exceptional student education. Just loved it. Um, I then taught middle school, uh, dropout prevention, kiddos who were in and out of the prison system. It was really fulfilling. I just really enjoyed that work. Um, again, they were amazing, amazing children with such great potential. And it was a great challenge too. I love a challenge. So, you know, with a challenge comes the next step, which is principalship. And I thought, what am I doing? Um, but somehow I was called to administration and I went from working with middle schoolers to then working as a, uh, an assistant principal and a principal in three different schools up near Jacksonville, Florida. The schools were very, very different demographically, um, but I loved each and every experience. While I was doing that, I also worked as an adjunct professor at the University of North Florida, which is wonderful because I got to work with pre-service teachers, people who were going into the field and had such great passion. And then I ended up as the director of professional development in St. John's County. It was actually the highest performing district in the state of Florida for 17 years. So I learned a lot there. I was able to work with teachers and districts and principals and people all over the state. Um, it was amazing, amazing work. From there, I went to uh, Franklin Covey and haven't looked back since. Yeah, well, given one curious thing that you said in there I, I didn't know is that your, your different stops at different types of schools in terms of socioeconomic background. Are there any common challenges that you noticed that like were common threads, whether it was a high free and reduced lunch school or a low free and reduced lunch school that just is a challenge that um, you think everybody experiences? Because a lot of times where, I, where I'm coming with this question is a lot of times if you're in a high free and reduced lunch school, you think, well, that school doesn't understand the challenges that we have and vice versa. So I'm just curious if there's some common threads that uh, you learned. Well, here's one common thread, Dustin. All of our teachers and educators have pressures. They might not be the same challenges or same pressures, but we're all pressured to do our best and to help our kids achieve, right? No matter what the demographics are, or socioeconomics are. This is what I know as well. Kids are kids, right? And they're all striving for greatness and for value and recognition. And I believe that everybody needs leadership. So it's really interesting. My kids may have needed different leadership skills at different schools where I served, but they all were hungry for leadership skills because deep inside they all had a dream and they all had a genius. So when you think about uh, your your time here, when you talk about being hope, where did, you know, you know, making sure you give hope to everyone, where did that start? Was that something that was bred in you before you got an education or is that something that has grown even stronger as you've been in education? Yeah, I love that question because truly that was, even in my childhood, I always had a heart for the underdog. Um, I, I have a, a personal story about walking home from school in elementary and the, this little boy was being bullied. And I remember I was in fifth grade, I think, and I was sticking up for him. Uh, some other children were actually throwing rocks at this little boy. And I jumped in. I just, I'm courageous. I just jumped right in and shielded him. And I just feel like that's a little bit of a metaphor for my life and my life's work with children and adults who have great needs. Uh, it's no joke when I've said you're going from coast to coast. I mean, I think you've been to Hawaii recently. I know California recently, New York quite a bit, and Florida, your home state. I know you spend a ton of time uh, helping serve our schools there. 
the reason why I brought you on the podcast today is I, I know that we could go in a lot of different directions, but there's a particular content area that has really spoken to you and uh, has, you've been called to kind of lead our team internally to, to do this. So I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about the four essential roles of leadership? What inspired you to be you know, a leader in this and why you think it matters? Yeah, I think Justin, to, to again, boil it down, leadership matters. I believe with my whole heart that one person can change an entire culture, that that's all it takes is one great, one effective leader to transform a school, an organization, a family, a community. And my passion around that is so strong that when this content came to light, I was like, this is it. This is it. This puts the leadership tools and the power of systems and trust in the hands and hearts of our leaders so that their cultures and their learning communities can become transformed through that leadership. It's beautiful. You're in so many different districts right now. What are the common challenges that districts are experiencing all across this country that in terms of developing great leaders? Yeah, Justin, things are really different right now. I would have a very different answer three years ago, right, mm. pre-COVID. So now what we're looking at is, of course, learning recovery. Nationwide, our students have lost up to 18 months of academic achievement. So there's that piece, a lot of pressure on our teachers and our, our, our school leaders. Um, and then, of course, there's post-COVID trauma, and it's real, and it's showcasing itself in student behavior. There are huge discipline challenges in our schools right now, which then impacts our teachers because they just want to teach, and they have the pressure of learning recovery, right? So those two things. And then, Dustin, it's also impacting our teacher shortage, which is real right now. Our teachers are in and out, mostly out. We are losing great people right now because of the pressures in the field. So, and that that really speaks to me. I think, I mean, you, you know, my family uh, and my wife and her work, uh, they're in, you know, 100% free just launch schools. It's always been a challenge to to really find the right leaders, empower the right leaders, and then to attract and retain staff. But like you said, I feel like that's not a, a an urban challenge anymore. That's an everywhere challenge. And so to me, when I think about what uh, taking your leaders through so a course like the four central roles can do, uh, can really help make impact there. So I guess, do you one, believe that? And two, can you just set the table of what the four central roles of leadership really are? Yeah. And Dustin, just let me add to this, what we've been talking about the last few minutes. When there's chaos in our school, all right, when there's instability, it's very hard for leaders to execute on strategies. It's hard for them to serve as instructional leaders. It's hard for them to develop others, right? And so when we bring the four essential roles into our schools, we, we look at, again, four things that are so criti critical, beginning with trust. And I think the number one, role of any leader is to inspire trust in others. And Justin, did you notice I didn't say motivate trust? Mm. I said inspire trust. Well, what's the and difference? If you're going to say that, what's the difference? I don't believe we can motivate anybody, Justin. I think we can inspire others, but motivation comes from within. And I'm not sure that's really our job as leaders. Our job is to inspire, to model, to show compassion and support, right? And then that motivation grows internally through that modeling and inspiring. So inspiring trust is the middle. It, it's the the framework. What I want to say, um, it's like the anchor. It's the anchor of the four roles. 
And around that, we talk about the other roles, which are kind of like what we call the results, the results driven. Um, leaders creating vision. How do we do that? We talk about why that's important, a clear and compelling vision, how to create that, how to communicate it. Dustin, I have run into leaders who believe they've shared their vision and have never spoken it. Mm. And then they get angry at their stakeholders because they don't know it. Yep. So we talk about you. We need to actually execute on communication, right? Um, the other one that we talk about and teach too is coaching potential. And again, great leaders develop great leaders. Our job is to develop those people who can come up with us and take over after we're gone. We're creating a legacy when we coach potential. And I believe it's our job to help our stakeholders detect their gifts and talents and then help them connect those gifts and talents to meaningful work. Without that, Dustin, our stakeholders will be in compliance mode. We don't want our people to come to a job. We want them to show up for a mission. You, I was in a, a training with you in Fort Lauderdale recently, and I'm pretty sure you showed the slide there, which was kind of the levels of engagement, right? So to build off of what you just said, you want people to show up a certain way. Can you explain, like when you think about when you're doing a training, because this is what you do so well with your schools, you you inspire people, not motivate, you inspire people. What is like the bottom level of engagement? And can you tell us like where you're trying to take our best leaders or you want our leaders, the excitement you want them to create? Absolutely, Justin. And I'm thinking any organization, we're going to have people all over that, that, that spectrum, right? We're going to have people who want to rebel or quit and are there for the wrong reasons or don't feel that they're being valued. We'll have some people who are in what we call resentful obedience. <laughs> you know, they might follow the rules, but they're not happy. And they may have some family things going on or some other things, but they can't quite connect to the vision of the organization. Um, we also have a large number of people in organizations that are compliant. Maybe they're indifferent, they're compliant, they're there for the money. <laughs> You know, I'm not sure about education, but, yeah. you know, it's all a job, right? We have to buy our groceries. And then what we say are there, there are these people that are above that line, okay? Those are kind of the negative and, and people who are really striving to find themselves. Above that line of engagement, we have people who are willingly cooperative, okay? Yep. Those who have heartfelt commitment and those people who live in creative excitement. So what we're trying to do, Dustin, is help people, again, detect their gifts and talents, connect those gifts and talents to meaningful work in the organization. So not only do they feel valued, but they're connected to meaningful work that's bigger than themselves. So if you were to say, you know, where are we pushing people or, or trying to get people to go to at least willing cooperation? As a former principal, you know, I loved it when people had that heartfelt commitment and that creative excitement. And, and we can't always live there. We don't want to have toxic positivity. We can't always live there. But I think it's important that we understand that overall, generally speaking, we can live above the line. Right. Well, Bets, like you're someone, you just said toxic positivity. You were someone that I know people can sense right now who don't know you, but every room you walk into, you bring light to. Um, how do you help others do that in a way to, like you said, where it's not toxic positivity. Like that's something I'm sure you, like some folks are trying to figure out how do I bring light? You bring light in every room. So how do you make sure your light's not too bright to where people can, you know, uh, come alongside you? Right. I think a lot of it, Dustin, has to do with compassion. When I work with my schools, I want to be an effective listener and use habit five. 
I also want to use the high trust behaviors. You know, when you think of the 13 high trust behaviors, one of the behaviors I'm really working on is talking straight. So I can be positive and I can be encouraging. I can be that cheerleader. It's also my job to talk straight and share results and data and next steps. And I think people really appreciate that um, because when we're so positive that we're toxic, we're not able to see the solutions for the problems at hand. And I never want to be that person for our schools. Yep. All right. So let's let's do this real quickly because I want to deep dive into all of them. Name the four essential roles real quick. Sorry, I was just... Getting deeper there. And let's dive into each one. <laughs> okay. No worries. Inspire, inspire trust, create vision, coach potential, and execute strategy. And I know that one is your favorite. And so we are going to dive there, but we're going to end there. And so the first one you keep talking about, we're not motivating trust, we're inspiring trust. And you just said there are 13 trust behaviors. You know, I don't think we have time to go like off the deep end of those areas. But when you're working with schools and you're trying to identify uh, the key components of trust, how do you help folks figure out where their area of struggle is? Because just you, you just said something like you can inspire trust because your personality and the way you love and have compassion, but you need to work on for your, and this is what you've self-identified as maybe talking straight. Whereas I feel like I may talk straight, but I may not be able to use my sunshine and compassion the way you can. And so how do you help people through that? Yeah. So Justin, it's really using the trust behaviors themselves. So let me give you an example. I was with a school and they were having a trust challenge. And basically I said, you're having a trust challenge. <laughs> Do you believe that? They said, absolutely. I said, let's stop. Let's talk about it. Let's look at the 13 trust behaviors. Where are your strengths as individuals, yep. as schools, as communities, as teams? And where do you need to work? Dustin, it's just about bringing that to the table, being transparent enough to talk about it. So many times in organizations, trust is low and we're afraid to talk about it because trust is low. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy or, or a catch-22. We've got to bring this to life and talk about the challenges. If not, we can't get to the solutions. So I, I hear that. I think, you know, with the pressure of the the job today and the neat challenges that, you know, it's, it's always been there, but I think there's, to your point, in the last three years have brought some unique challenges. Yes. How do you help those leaders who want to go there with their staff, but are insecure because they think, you know, maybe that'll put them, you know, the, the, the staff will take advantage of that or the board or the administration might take advantage of them, see them as weak. How do you help people through that initial pushback? So I'm sure you've seen that plenty of times. I'm working with a principal now. She's one of my clients as an executive coach. I'm working with her and she's holding on so tightly to power or perceived power yep. that she is unable to have that conversation right now with her staff. And so what I'm hearing from staff is we don't trust her. She doesn't trust us. So I'm working with her on humility, on building relationships, on creating space, Dustin, because the whirlwind of education is so strong. Our leaders need to build in systems of reflection. I mean, think about John Hattie's work. The highest yield strategy is reflection. If our leaders don't build in time to work with their teams, to have face time with their people, and to be humble enough to have these conversations, we can't get better. We won't get better. And let me tell you this, Dustin, the four central roles of leadership, the content has a 360 assessment built into it. So our leaders are able, I know it's so beautiful. So they're able to send that out and get real-time feedback. So if they can't have that face-to-face, -face, if they're not ready for it, 
And I know that a leader I'm working with isn't ready for that yet. She needs some experience under her belt. She needs some confidence, all right? She can send that 360 out and get the feedback that she needs to get better, to become more effective. Wow, that's awesome. So that way, like it, again, you could identify trust as an issue and you may be able to find some threads within trust that we may need to, to dive into, right? Absolutely. And then we but, can get solutions. Before we move off of trust, are, are there any common threads? You know, I know 13 trust behavior is probably fi- hard to find commonality, but do you notice leaders today or certain segments of types of leaders, or maybe younger leaders versus more veteran leaders are struggling? Is there a common trust area that people struggle with? I would say it's even common with teachers, and that's the trust behavior of extending trust first. Hmm. I work with teachers a lot on this, Dustin, because our kids are in crisis. Okay, I'm speaking generally now. And so when we see these behaviors happen, and this could be with adults as well, it's hard to extend trust to people who we don't see as trustworthy. I mean, that's human nature. They're not trustworthy. I'm not extending it. So there's a paradigm shift that has to happen with us as leaders and as teachers. We need to take the risk to extend trust before people have earned it. Dustin, if we waited for some kids or even adults to earn our trust, we could wait 15 years. <laughs> We've got to be humble enough, get, put our egos aside to extend trust first to see if that can repair or enhance our relationships. And so I work a lot with that with my schools and my stakeholders. I love that. Um, so, I, all right. So, first part of the four central roles of leader. Uh, it would be the force of relationship uh, would be inspiring trust. So how do I live differently and how do I look at myself differently to earn the trust of those around me? The second step that we dive into is you said creating a vision and strategy. So what, where's the challenge there? Where do people fall down the most? Because I assume everybody who's a leader thinks I've got a vision. We've got vision and strategy. Let's go. Where are the struggles that we're finding? You just nailed it, Dustin. Um, I've got the vision. I'm the leader. I've got it. I wrote it down. I can't wait to go to the staff meeting and share with everyone. This is my vision, right? So it it needs to be a shared vision, Dustin. And I'm not saying take two or three years to create it. I'm saying let's get the voice of our stakeholders and not only creating it together as a shared vision, but consistently communicating it clear and compelling, not just to the teachers and staff, but to our students. It's their school, Dustin. We work for them, right? So So you're encouraging leaders to like, bring students into the vision setting process. Absolutely. Their voice should be all over that vision. And if they don't know it, in fact, I want you to quiz your kiddos when they get home from school today. If they don't know what their school stands for, and I'm not saying that they should recite the school improvement plan or the, the mission statement from the district, your kiddo should be able to say, I go to Dustin Elementary School where we learn it, we live it, we give it. We're all about reading and leading. Our kids should know enough about who we are and what we believe to be able to say that. And that goes from the superintendent all the way down. And Dustin, there are so many people out there who can't even articulate what the vision is of the district, of the schools, or even of their classroom. So it sounds like when you're working with, you know, whether it's schools or uh, districts or schools in this work, when you're thinking about vision and strategy, you're thinking, how do we make sure we're aligning and involving, including to create like a real culture of belonging for all stakeholders. Is that right? Yeah, Justin, I'm glad you said the word aligning because our schools need to remember we work for and with the district, right? So that district strategic plan 
needs to be a guiding force before we jump into anything. Mm-hmm. And again, oftentimes, and I was guilty of this. I mean, I didn't sit around and read the district strategic plan, you know. So being intentional with alignment is yep. key. Well, so one of the challenges is, so you've got leaders, I can think of a few off the top of my head that will say, I was hired to implement the district vision. Your job is just to get on board, right? Where does that fall down? Because you said it's aligned. Like, I, are my jobs to serve the district? So why why can't I do that? How how like what's your better alternative? I guess. Yeah, Justin, that approach was terrible. That was yeah. <laughs> we don't want that. Um, you know what? The district vision is what it is. It's important that we communicate it. And then the next question is, how do we support that? What does it look like in our learning community with our kids and our stakeholders and our gifts and talents? How do we contribute and align in our building? You know, every building should be different. It doesn't mean we're not streamlined to the district, right? It just means we have other gifts and talents and some other initiatives that we need to consider as well. All right. So again, I would stay here all day with you. I think that people can dive deeper into this content if this is something that really fits with them. The next step, I think you said, was coaching potential, right? And so if we're going to talk about coaching potential, I am curious in this new day and age, where do you see most leaders struggle in this? Because one of my one of my thoughts would be, you know, I used to see when I was doing school turnaround a decade ago, there was always this misalignment from teachers getting like 97%, you know, thumbs up in their annual reviews, yet principals thinking that a lot of teachers need to improve. And so there's a disconnect. And so I would assume that probably hasn't changed a lot over the years. And now we're having a lot of teachers leave the profession and not a lot of new folks sign up. And so I can't imagine that creates an environment where people are leaning into coaching because they're scared to lose folks. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, there's a lot of fear, Justin, right now. There's a fear that we're going to lose somebody. I mean, right now there's a coverage issue. We are at this low level of execution in our schools where we just need coverage. And that's the sad reality. I will tell you too, that I ask my leaders this, do you know the gifts and talents of every one of your staff members? And I typically get a yes, yes, I think I do. Well, when we teach this out, the four roles, we ask our leaders to bring their staff roster. And I asked them to sit with their staff roster and next to the name of every single stakeholder, write at least one gift or talent. Ooh, that changes our paradigms because that's not always the case. We typically, Dustin, in our schools and actually all over the world with profit, nonprofit as well, we utilize 10% of the 100% to do 90%. And so I could tell you those 10% that I use in my school over and over again to lead, they follow through. I trust them. They trust me, right? But the other 90%, what have I done intentionally to know their gifts and talents and to help them connect to that meaningful work? That's, I believe that's our job. That's our response. That's awesome. Are there any, I've asked a couple of different podcast guests about this in the past. Are there any specific systems you either implemented or seen people implemented to help one, provide the space and time to get that genuine feedback. And then two, to follow up and to kind of stoke the flames and fires of those people. Uh, all right, Justin, I'm going to give you an old school example. Okay. Are you ready? Sure. 
Oh, my last principalship was uh, 10 years ago. Okay. Yep. So I had this big whiteboard in my office. It was kind of an ugly whiteboard. And typically new principals will do this. They'll have a one-on-one with every staff member when they come in just to get to know them. So I just added something to it, Dustin. I just went to that ugly board behind me and I said, hey, welcome. Share with me your gifts and talents. And on that board over the next two weeks, I wrote every single person's name and every single person's gift and talent, but I didn't stop there, okay? So I know the principal's office is a place where people like to congregate and say, hey, what do I do, Principal Dustin? So instead of me being the answer man, you know, the Wizard of Oz, it was very easy for me to turn around and look at my board and say, you know what, Dustin, you need some technology help? Well, Miss Lori is our tech guru right here. I want you to go see her. If there's still a challenge, you come see me afterwards, but go use her gifts and talents. And after mm-hmm. some time, that became our mode of operation. People were seeking out each other for help, val- valuable advice, wisdom, and strategic help. It was beautiful. What would you say, because I know that you and I both experience uh, leaders like this, what do you say to the principals or the district leaders who say, look, that sounds great, Bets, but uh, we have a fire in the building of we've got to perform academically quickly. I don't have time to know every little gift and talent that way. I need people to be the best academic teachers possible. Right. What's your response to uh, to that type of leader? Mm-hmm. Um, that culture comes first, <laughs> right? So if we don't build culture, our academics will suffer. That's research. That's truth. That's mm-hmm. relationships. And if we don't build that foundation, our math scores aren't going to look real great, Dustin. And so I truly believe that and there's data to show that. And so that time spent is never a takeaway. It's always an investment. And we talk about that because, Dustin, we forget that in the whirlwind and with the pressure. There's a lot of pressure on us as educators. So when people go through this training and uh, so one of the things that they'll come out with is their ability to look at their team differently and create systems to identify their unique talents and gifts. Is there anything else that they come come away with in terms of being more effective of coaching potential and the people that report to them? Yeah, well, the next step would be now how can we connect that to the work at hand? And so that time spent mm-hmm. on the front and determining what is the work that we need to do that's underneath our, our compelling vision. And that's how we develop our action teams and our leader in these schools. Let's get those people with those gifts and talents connected to the work that needs to be done, right? That will bring them value and the school value. So that's the next step moving forward. It's also my job, Dustin, to keep my eye on things that, you know, how, who, who does this really well? For example, let's look at the data. You know, if we have an issue with text complexity, for example, it's my job to figure out who does it well, who's the expert in my school to showcase that to set up model classrooms, to set up instructional rounds, to ensure that these people are sharing best practices, right? Because so much of our expertise is within. So I always feel like an HR recruiter within sometimes because I just feel like as leaders, we need to be talent scouts and we can't do it alone. We need these talents around us to lead the school. That's awesome. All right, time to talk about your favorite uh, piece that we have, which is executing the the fourth role, executing on your top priorities. Tell me what that means to you, because that can mean a lot of things. So you're someone who is an expert in this field. So tell me what this means to you. Yeah, it means we have to get out of the whirlwind long enough, Dustin, to reflect right on what we need to execute, right, what our priorities are. Yep. And sometimes that means logistical things a master schedule change, a time at the end of the day to reflect. Again, I go back to John Hattie's work, 
reflection and feedback. If our leaders don't take time to breathe and reflect on their work, we're not going to know what to execute. So once we know that, once we're aware of that, we have to set up systems, Dustin, so that we can execute with our team, right? And that we can also inspect what we expect. This is all systems work complete systems work. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. I'll go into schools and they'll share a challenge. And in my head, I'm like, well, there's a system for that. (laughs) I give this to Shelly Ryder. I'm going to give her credit, uh, our coach managing director, because that woman is so systems driven. And I have to tell you, it's powerful work. Yeah. Well, how do you help people? Because I, you know, I know a lot of people who are either district leaders or school leaders, and some of them are amazing leaders that are not big systems thinkers. They do a great job of like galvanizing people around them and finding the systems folks. How do you help people who are resistant or who haven't seen their strengths as a leader being a systems department get into systems? Dustin, I'm not sure you can be a great leader without systems. And it, it takes me back to our trust content. When we talk about the key components of trust, we talk about competency and character. And I've worked with people with great character and they were lovely, but they were competent. I've worked with very competent leaders, very strong leaders who had no character. So I think that balance of systems and competency and follow through and execution is key to trust. Character without that, I don't believe is effective leadership. So at the school level, what I want to ask the school level and the district level, and obviously that can be different based on the department, but when you're thinking about a school level leader, what are the broad systems that you think are most important for those folks to have? Oh my goodness. Well, we just need to look at our framework. I mean, our leader me framework has those systems written down, a system for parent education, a system for staff development, for goal setting, right? For student leadership, for events, for our parents, everything in that schoolhouse should be systemized and leaderized. Right. Without that, we falter because of the whirlwind and the pressures. Right. We can't get out of that whirlwind without a solid system and without the results. Right. If we have a system without results, it's the wrong system. So that time again to reflect using that see, do, get model. What are our results? Do we need to go back to the drawing board and create a new system, tweak what we have and look at our results to ensure we're on the right path? Well, I think, you know, whether it's a district level leader or a school level leader, I think almost every leader would say they have systems. What, when someone says they have systems that you're working with, what are the questions you're asking them to help them figure out if they're really effective to moving the needle, but also keeping folks engaged and excited in that work? Yeah, Dustin, that is where I turn on my Dr. Phil, right? So we talk about a system. My question first is, how's it working for you? (laughs) How's that going? And that's where it drives us back to the data. And I don't mean just quantitative data. We need to look at our qualitative data, our MRA, um, our, our teacher data as well. But we need to analyze our systems. And when the data is showing us that those systems aren't working, right, that the data is going to show us what to do next. Data speaks for us. We don't have to speak at all when the data is clear. Yeah. So... On this, is there anything else that you wish folks would know, whether it's about executing on the priorities or the four central roles of leadership? Like what what is something that um, as folks are kind of peeking over the fence saying, what should I learn more about this that you would want them to know? Yeah, Dustin, I, I do. I want to say something about um, our potential, but I just want to list for a couple minutes 
some other challenges that we're having it as educators and leaders out there um, because it's not just COVID, right? There's other things that are going on with our with our leaders, like leading change is very difficult. Prioritizing coaching is difficult. Translating strategy into action is difficult in the whirlwind. Getting the work done, leading the business, engaging, motivating, retaining talent. And then also, Dustin, something we didn't talk about was leading multiple generations. That's not easy work. So with all of that, what would I say? I would say this, that I believe in leadership. I believe that one person can make a difference. Um, I believe that one person modeling high trust and great systems and compassion and developing great leaders can change the world, not just for the organization, but for every single student there. We matter. Each person matters. And so what I'm seeing right now are some educators giving up, Dustin. And I want to say, don't, don't. We can do this. This is doable. We can learn these strategies. We can learn and execute the four roles. We can do this. What's the most common feedback that you've received from leaders coming out of this kind of training? Because you're, you know, you had this up for our country, uh, you know, for the whole country for us. So what, what's the most common feedback you, you receive? Yeah, uh, lights went off. My paradigm has shifted. I know that I can do this with my team, that together we can make this happen. We know that our children have gifts and talents and potential right? And that everyone can connect to meaningful work. It's that sense of hope. That's it goes back to how we started this conversation. This content gives our leaders hope. I love that. All right. We're going to close out with the same questions that we always close out with. Okay. Let's start with what's a habit or discipline that you utilize on a daily basis to make you the best version of you? Okay. This was not intentional. I don't know how this happened, Justin, but the last year I am getting up, like waking up every single morning between 4.30 and 5. My body just wakes up. It doesn't matter what time I go to bed. So I am up early between 4.30 and 5. And I take that time to um, take a look at the news, read inspiring literature, grab a great cup of coffee. Um, I pray, I meditate, I, I check up on social media real quick. It's this time that I have, again, that reflection time that I have to center myself, create space for myself to go out into the day and be my very best self. I love that. But the folks who don't know you don't know what a uh, traveler you are. So the fact that you are likely getting in some of these nights around midnight or one, and then your body waking up at 4.30 or 5 is nuts to me. But I'm super happy that you're finding time to use that to fuel yourself. Yeah. Coffee's my friend, Dustin. Coffee. All right. So what's a book or books that you've read either recently or throughout your career that you just think other people need to check out? Dustin, everywhere I go, I tell my my friends in my schools, read the book Whisperer. It's an older book and it's written by Donalyn Miller. And it's a book about a sixth grade teacher who created a literacy environment. I'm so passionate about reading, Dustin. You're going to have to bring me back for reading um, because I believe that reading is uh, creating a level playing field for life, right? Well, we It's equity. It's everything. We're saving lives. Muriel Summer said that it's triage, right? So this book shows teachers, educators, school leaders, and districts how to create literacy environments so that our children love to read. And this will truly impact proficiency and the joy in reading, which we really need to bring back to our schools. So I encourage you to pick that up. You'll love it. Whisper. All right. And I will take you up on the, <laughs> let's come back and talk about reading uh, games. That do know that's a personal passion of yours. And you do a, you know, a lot of work with schools and districts on how to get better scores there as well. Um, all right. Uh, I believe I'm getting this right. 
you are a singer uh, by trade. Like you, you actually have a gift. I know your daughter is blessed this way. So I'm assuming she gets it somewhere. So this is something that is a part of your past, correct? You well, like music? You know, you'll probably see it on social media, but I was a wedding singer in the 80s. Yep. It's out there now. I was a wedding singer. I wasn't going to say it. I was going to let you decide what you wanted to share. But yeah. uh, yes, a wedding singer, I am so impressed. <laughs> so the question, the question I have for this superstar wedding singer is, uh, you know, it used to be, you know, let's talk about your playlist, which I'm curious in, but this gentleman over here, Luke Odom, wants to know everybody's walk-up song. So when you think about a motivational song that just gets you going, puts you in the right frame of mind, what's that song for you right now? Hey, you ready? Talking about the 80s. Um, I do some keynotes around the country, Dustin, and sometimes it's very large crowds. I was talking to a group of 700, so I get a little nervous. So my walk-up song is Bad Michael Jackson. Come on. I love it. How did that happen? That's a really cool song. Well, now I heard it. I was listening to it. I was like, yes, yes, I'm bad. I've got this. <laughs> it just helps me, you know, get on stage with confidence. And um, just remember again that I have gifts and, gifts and talents as well. We all do. We all have genius. Yeah, I love it. And you do a good job of affirming others. So that's something that I appreciate in you. Uh, last question. You're someone who's traveling everywhere, as I continue to mention, but you're also someone surrounded by really great leaders, whether it's in your life, like your close friends or, you know, the, the, the great leaders you get to work with on a day-to-day -day basis. What's the best piece of either leadership advice or personal change advice that you've come across recently that you just can't get out of your head and you want to share with people? Yeah. Well, there's so, there's so much, Dustin. I'm surrounded by greatness everywhere I go. I learn everywhere I am in every school I am with all of our colleagues as well. But this week, let me share this week, um, our client partner, Josh Wycup, shared something with me that's just really on my heart. I want to give him a shout out for that. He said, Betsy, remember to slow down. <laughs> remember to get out of the whirlwind yourself as you teach and train and facilitate. Because with that intentional slowdown, with that intentional reflection, you two can become more effective. Right. And so that's on my heart. And I appreciate that wisdom because we get caught up. We're just so excited about our work. We get caught up in the whirlwind as well. So thank you, Josh. I'm taking that. Appreciate it. Yeah, we do love our man, Josh Whitecuff. So uh, with that, Bets, this was awesome. Um, I cannot thank you enough. I know that uh, you are working your tail off to serve as many people as possible and live out your dream of bringing hope everywhere. So the fact that you made time for us today is a huge honor to us. And I know it was uplifting to everybody listening, but uh, just thank you. Thank you for making time and thank you for doing what you do because uh, within about two seconds of being in your presence, I, even if people are just listening to you, I know that they understand that you've been called to give hope to folks and you're doing a great job of it. Thank you, Justin. Thank you for letting me share my voice today. Yeah, this was awesome. Bets, thank you. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.